Good evening, this is Ryan Underwood in the studio with From the Frontline. Tonight, we'll be dealing with responding to the challenges that confront us. We are joined in the studio by Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome, Dr. Hammond. Thank you, Ryan. What are some of the challenges that confront us today? Well, we seem to be living in a, a world that's gone absolutely insane. We're not just involved in a clash of civilizations and a world war of worldviews, but we're involved in a situation that's getting more and more anti-Christian. And yet there's very good news too. According to Operation World, there are over 600 million people in Africa who call themselves Christians. And they predict that in the next 24 years, by the year 2050, you will see the number of Christians in Africa double. So we could see one billion, 200 million Christians in Africa in just about 24 years' time. I mean, that's absolutely phenomenal. The number of Christians in Africa is predicted to double if present trends continue. This means Africa could become the most Christian continent on the planet. In fact, by 2050, you might have more Christians in Africa than the rest of the world combined, possibly, depending on how the other continents grow in the next 25 years. The challenge that this represents for us is most of the pastors in Africa have absolutely no Bible college training, no theological training, no Bible college training, and many of them have no access to a decent library. Some of them don't have a personal library of any sort. Most don't have a study Bible. In fact, many pastors in Africa don't even have a Bible, believe it or not. That seems almost impossible. But according to Operation World, more than 100 million churchgoers in Africa don't even have a Bible or a New Testament. So the growth of the church in Africa is exciting and positive, but on the negative side is there's a lot of cults and sects and syncretism coming along because many of the pastors, the only training they seem to have is what they see on TBN or God TV or Trinity Broadcasting Network. They are getting name it, claim it, and frame it, gab it and grab it, prosperity cults, health and, gospel, health and wealth gospel type message, and I use the word gospel in small g there. So... We're facing a real major problem in Africa with lack of literature, lack of leadership training. So one of the biggest challenges for us is we need vastly more Bibles and vastly more Bible teaching material and Bible teachers in Africa. So the greatest challenges before us is the stupendous growth of the church in Africa, which is great, is not keeping pace with the discipleship. Evangelism of one sort or another is happening, but discipleship is pretty bad. So We've got a gospel in Africa or church in Africa that are described as miles wide and inches deep, in some cases millimeters deep. And that is a major challenge for us today. How are we to respond? What is the first battlefield? Well, Karl Marx, who I wouldn't normally quote from because he's anti-Christian, but this is a good quote. Karl Marx said, the first battlefield is the rewriting of history. And it's very clear that Marxist disciples have been very busy rewriting history, rearranging reality, and Marxists have been manipulating the mass media to bombard everyone with no end of deception, distraction, and disinformation. And that includes through Hollywood and through the mass media. People are being disinformed. You just think how many films that are based on a true story or inspired by real events or something like that. And meanwhile, it's completely distorted. The names might be the same, but the facts have been distorted to villainize the victims and to victimize the villains. In many cases, reality is completely turned on its head, and they are distorting things to such a terrible extent, most people have no understanding of what real history is and what's happened, and even reality today 
is being distorted. So Christians need to get back involved in uh, the cultural war, back involved in knowing their history, knowing what's going on in the world, understanding the times. This is a great battle. What is the Gramsci strategy? So after the First World War, communists in Europe, in Western Europe, uh, looked at what had just happened in the Soviet Union and the overthrow of the Russian Empire and a great Christian country that had been Orthodox Christian for so long. And they tried to analyze how can we replicate that in Western Europe. And the conclusion of the founder of the Italian Communist Party, Antonio Gramsci, was Lenin got lucky. We're not going to have the same correlation of forces that brought down the great Russian Romanov dynasty and brought commissars in place of the czars in Russia. Uh, not in the West. The West too Christian. His solution was what he called the termite strategy, that communists need to infiltrate the five culture-carrying institutions of society, education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, and political institutions. These are the pillars of civilization. Education, entertainment, news media are the most important, and of these, education is the absolute most important. By infiltrating and subverting these pillars of civilization, the Marxists could weaken and undermine societies. And so what he said is, we have to get Westerners not merely to think in a non-Christian way, but in an anti-Christian way. We must act like termites rotting out the inside of these pillars of civilization, these culture-carrying, culture-transforming institutions of education, entertainment, news media, religious and political institutions. He said, like termites might eat the inside of the wooden pillars of a house. You can put whitewash over it and paint it as much as you like. One day, the whole structure is going to collapse if the termites keep eating the insides of it. And he said, we need to carry on this long march, as he called it, through the institutions of the West. And amongst Gramsci's Frankfurt School, his, or the Frankfurt School of Cultural Marxism, they're saying, we're not going to win by marches and demonstrations and protests in the streets. We're going to win by becoming the professors and teachers in the colleges and universities, by becoming the directors, scriptwriters, um, the actors in the different uh, film industry uh, and the plays and institutions, and by becoming the news anchors and reporters and editors of the newspapers, becoming the bishops and lecturers in the colleges and the universities, seminaries, and in the religious denominations. And so they deliberately set about subverting the pillars of civilization through what they called cultural Marxism. People will not accept political Marxism. In the West, they're horrified by what the Bolsheviks had been doing, murdering the Tsar and his family and murdering millions of people in the Soviet Union. They weren't going to go for that. So they couldn't advance political Marxism in the West. They had to advance cultural Marxism. And one of the Frankfurt School of Marxism people was um, uh, Professor Marcuse. And Marcuse said a key strategy to subvert the West is to introduce the celebration of ugliness in art and in the, particularly we're talking about uh, plays, and he said we must use foul language, must use obscenity and profanity like verbal grenades against the bourgeois to undermine a Christian sensibility. So to popularize and to normalize profanity and obscenity, vile and foul language and blasphemy in the West is going to be a key way of breaking down the West. And you just think how Hollywood and many of the plays have normalized what would have been a crime not that long ago. And now people, even Christians, are using profanity and obscenity in a way that would never have been possible before and would have been illegal not that long ago. Uh, particularly in my memory in South Africa, these things were completely illegal in my lifetime when I was growing up. And to think that these things are now normalized 
you can see the cultural Marxists or the Gramsci strategy, uh, not just Antonio Gramsci, but the rest of the Frankfurt School, including Herbert Marcuse, have popularized things. They went very strategic. The cultural Marxists were forced out of Frankfurt when the National Socialists rose to power in Germany and the communists had to flee, and they fled into universities in the United States. And you can see Princeton, Yale, Cornell, Harvard all started to adopt these cultural Marxist uh, um, beliefs because the Frankfurt School of Marxists moved into universities in America and into Hollywood. How can we effectively resist the revolutionary forces threatening Christian civilization? Well, the cultural decay brought about by this Marxist strategy of corrupt and conquer and the erosion caused by the confused divide-and-conquer strategies, these have led to social upheavals and the breakdown of morals throughout much of the world. So we are living in an age of revolution. We need to resist. Now, I was brought up in a time when we were busy with the Cold War, and it was a privilege to be part of the great resistance in Rhodesia, South Africa, and Southwest Africa. We were in the very front line of the hot part, the Cold War. We stood up and resisted the southward expansion of Soviet-sponsored communist terrorism, and we learned the best form of defense is attack. And so, um, as a Christian in the South African army uh, who started Bible study in a prayer fellowship, and I think that's one of the best things we can do is start a Bible study in a prayer fellowship. That move, on my first days in the South African army, I asked the chaplain if I could speak at the first Sunday service, stood up and said to the hundreds of soldiers in the uh, hall, Winella Hall, uh, in 6th South African Infantry, Grahamstown, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I want to honor him in my next two years here. If anyone else feels the same, please see me afterwards. Let's start a Bible study and a prayer fellowship. And that's one of the best things I ever did. That Bible study and prayer fellowship grew. It started out with just three of us, but soon there were six, and then there were eight, and we grew to 12 and 24, and by the end of our national service, there was 84 of us in three different companies in six South African infantry meeting every night for Bible study and prayer. And it had a powerful impact. Going through the Word of God, meeting studying the Word of God, seeking to understand the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of Truth, and understand the times, is super valuable. And we went out and we evangelized, and I think the best form of defense is attack. The vision came to us. The communists are coming to us with landmines, rocket launchers, Estrella anti-aircraft missiles, heat-seeking missiles. They're coming with hate and Marxism, and they're murdering people, petrol bombs, uh, necklace murders, and so on. What's the best way to respond? Well, they have sent communists and terrorists to us. The Cubans are on our border. Have we ever sent missionaries to Cuba? Have we ever sent missionaries to Russia, to the Soviet Union? And so the best form of defense is attack. They're attacking us with their ideology of hate. Have we counterattacked with the gospel of Christ's love and redemption? Christian missionaries, Bible smugglers, gospel radio broadcasts, underground churches, training chaplains for the resistance movements as we did, we were training chaplains for Anamo in Mozambique and Unita in Angola, the anti-communist guerrillas. All of this played a role in undermining communist states from within. And as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, one of the best things you can do to resist communism is to refuse to believe the lie. And he said, communism is built upon the lie. The lie is the pillar of the state. The lie is not just a major tactic, but it's an actual foundation for it. So when you stop believing the lie, when you stop applauding the lie, when you stop repeating the lie, the lie dies. The whole state's pillar collapses, just like the Gramsci strategy was aimed to undermine us by undermining morals and Christian ethics in the West in education, entertainment, news media. We can undermine them uh, in so many ways, smuggling in Bibles, broadcasting gospel radio, 
programs and things. This is part of our counterattack. Gospel literature, evangelism, what we were doing in supporting the persecuted church undermined the Soviet Union. And so we can resist uh, these forces that are threatening Christian civilizations by revitalizing the Bible study, the prayer meeting, the churches. Uh, and ultimately, we saw throughout the whole of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire collapsed because the communists were defeated on the battlefields, not only by the South African army, but by anti-communist guerrillas like Renamo in Mozambique, Unita in Angola, uh, by the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, by the Contras in Nicaragua, anti-communist guerrillas, and then uh, also Solidarity in Poland, and so many other resistance groups, but the persecuted church, the gospel radio programs, we saw communism defeated on the battlefields and even eroded in its heartland, which made possible a fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Iron Curtain, the breakup of the Soviet Union into 15 independent republics. All of this marked a major watershed in recent history. With thousands of Len idols of Lenin and Marx toppled throughout Eastern Europe and Russia, even as far as field as Addis Ababa and Ethiopia, the threat changed. And so we can continually uh, resist revolutionary forces by refusing to believe the lie, and there's so many lies that they propagate these days, everything from evolutionism, atheism, through to uh, the COVID cult, lockdown, lunacy, masquerade madness with the salvation by vaccination, uh, World Health Organization, or should I say Wuhan Health Organization, Communist Party of China strategy of forcing everyone into, you've got to believe this lie or we will deplatform you, unperson you, the thought police will be after you. We've just got to refuse to believe the lie, refuse to repeat the lie, and refuse to applaud the lie. How can we be effective as Christians in this culture war? I believe we need to understand the times and we need to renew our minds. Rev Romans 12 says we must not be conformed to this world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not the removal of our minds, but the renewing of our minds. Many Christians talk about blind faith. We don't believe in blind faith. We believe in intelligent response to the light, not a blind leap into the dark, but intelligent response to faith and facts. Faith in the Bible is faith and facts. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the risen Lord. They saw the miracles, and they believed. And so we need to have our minds renewed. We need to be transformed by the Word of God so that we are not conformed to this world. And one of the strategies we've used in this is launching the Biblical Worldview Summit to apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. And so we've conducted over 100 intensive Biblical Worldview camps, courses, and seminars in the Congo and Malawi, in Namibia, Nigeria, Romania, Sudan, South Africa, Zambia, Zimbabwe. We've produced eight different editions of the Biblical Worldview Manual and several editions of the Biblical Principles for Africa book, which has been translated into French and Afrikaans too. So renewing minds to transform cultures by seeing what does the Bible teach on education, entertainment, news media, crime, punishment, um, justice, foreign affairs, all these things. And when you start to understand what the Bible teaches on every area of life and apply the Lord to Christ all areas of life, this is a way of renewing minds, refusing to conform to this world and begin to work to transform culture. So we start by changing lives one person at a time. How can we mobilize against uh, Marxism? Well, one of the strategies I used was back in 1991, 
recognizing how the Marxists were working behind the lines, we were fighting and we had won the wars against communism on the border of southwest Africa and Angola. We were winning in Mozambique and Angola. Anti-communist resistance forces were winning. But I saw that the communists were undermining our own missionary sending bases like in South Africa, obviously in America, Australia, Canada, Britain, even more. So we launched Africa Christian Action to mobilize pro-life, pro-family initiatives to combat the corruption and the degeneracy being promoted by the secular humanists. So preserve the sending bases, the missionary sending bases of our own countries like South Africa. Our Africa Christian Action has been the forefront of the battle for faith, family, freedom, and the future. By organizing life chains, marches for life, protests to parliament, prayer vigils, sidewalk counseling outside abortaries, by mobilizing people around single issues such as the right to life of pre-born babies, and missions in the mall, distributing tens of thousands of leaflets and counseling hundreds of people in shopping centers. We used Women's Day in particular to get permission by shopping centers to set up display tables, literature tables in the shopping malls, to do surveys and to question people, do spiritual well-being surveys, offering people free New Testaments or um, gospel DVDs if they will answer these questions, which are basically going through evangelism explosion, where the master questions, which are some of the best evangelistic programs out there, getting people to question, would you consider yourself to be a good person? How many of the Ten Commands can you remember? Funny, some people can remember ten different types of beers, but they can't remember the Ten Commands. But most people remember basic things like don't steal and don't lie. Well, have you ever lied? Well, what do you call a person who lies? A liar. Have you ever stolen anything? No. Well, you've just admitted to lying. Have you never borrowed something and failed to return it? Never broken something and failed to repair it? Okay, once, very long ago, when I was very young. Isn't that another lie? Yes, okay. Um, so get people to admit, well, actually, I am, I am a liar and I have stolen things. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? In fact, by now people probably have taken God's name in vain. You can point out them. That's very serious. God who gave us life, the creator, the eternal judge, to use his name like an expression of disgust, like a swear word. How vile is that? Would you ever use your mother's name in a, as a swear word? Of course not. No, why not? Because you respect your mother. You love your mother. Well, why would we use the name of the holy God of heaven and earth, the, the creator, the eternal judge, our redeemer, why would we misuse his name in a disrespectful and vile way? And to get people to recognize you're actually not that good a person. When you ask the average person, would you consider yourself to be a good person, the average person says yes. In fact, when you just ask a person the average question, you know, how are you? And the average person says, I'm good. Well, that gives us a wonderful opening to introduce subjects about eternity and nature of God and depravity of man. When a person says, I'm good, you can say, but Jesus said, only God is good. No one is good except God alone. And that makes some people stop. And I've had people at shopping centers and so on and uh, information bureaus or on the other side of the till in a shop saying, you know, that's so true. Um, no one is good except God alone. I mean, Jesus said that. How can you argue? And so evangelism, training people in the way of the master and evangelism explosion, door-to-door -door evangelism, these are some of the basic things that we can do to counter the revolution and to mobilize more people in this cultural war. We need to get people involved in, in being relevant to the local issues. Abortion is one of those issues that, that gets people's attention. Uh, evolutionism has been pushed as well. Getting people to understand what creation science is and get them to think the gospel of evolution doesn't make sense. You came from nothing. You're going nowhere. 
life is meaningless. A whole lot of time and a whole lot of nothing made everything. And, you know, once upon a time there was nothing and then there was something and something became everything. This sounds like science fiction. Uh, it's a fairy tale for adults. And it's obviously false. And the Big Bang, does that make sense? If you put a bomb in a printing press, do you think that's going to produce an encyclopedia? And when you look at the complexity of the human cell, I'd recommend people see films like Evolution versus God and The Atheist Delusion. Absolutely excellent films that show you from a scientific point of view how evolution doesn't make sense, how atheism is self-contradictory, and you cannot get order and um, logic coming out of chaos. A bomb doesn't produce more order, and uh, you can't expect to throw a bomb in a junkyard and expect a 747 jumbo jet to come out of it, pilot a tank with fuel with the runway already. And the idea that the DNA cells, which are self-replicating and self-repairing, uh, just came out by random chance. It boggles the brain. And even Charles Darwin said, I freely admit that to suggest that the human eye evolved seems foolishness in the highest extreme. Well, if the human eye couldn't evolve, what do you say about the eagle's eye, which can see 20 times better than the human eye? Phenomenally, um, I mean, we're almost blind compared to the eagles and the hawks and the falcons. So amongst the different things we've done to mobilize more uh, Christian activity uh, and to mobilize resistance to the New World Order, we've produced books like Fight for Life, Pro-Life Handbook for Southern Africa, Finding Freedom from the Pornography Plague, Make a Difference, a Christian Action Handbook for Southern Africa, Biblical Principles South Africa, Pandemic, How the Pornography Plague Affects You and Your Family, What You Can Do About the Rise of the Gay GB and the Pink Inquisition. Uh, these are so current and relevant as we're seeing so much of the LGBTQ crowd and we call them the Gay GB and the Pink Inquisition, which is like a new inquisition. And we've organized things like the Christian Action Starter Pack to mobilize Bible study and prayer groups, prayer and action groups throughout South Africa. Our book, The Pink Agenda, was the first book to be censored in the new South Africa and created such a furor that we had over 100 media interviews conduct concerning its controversy. On appeal, a book was unbanned and it quickly sold out and even secular bookshops were contacting us for it because their customers were requesting copies of this book that had been banned and which was so controversial. And so we mustn't shun controversy. As Christians, we should be willing to get out there and to tackle issues. As Martin Luther said, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldiers proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. And so where the battle rages, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's a gender confusion, transgenderism, men trying to compete in women's sports, men wanting to go into women's bathrooms, gender dysphoria being mainstreamed, a mutilating of boys and girls in the name of gender-affirming care, What's gender-affirming about mastectomies and castrations and, gen and gentle mutilation? There's nothing affirming about this. It's not therapy. That's like referring to chemo uh, as chemotherapy. What's therapeutic about poisoning uh, people? What's therapeutic about radiation, uh, burning people? What's therapeutic about um, uh, mutilating people's bodies? And so we've got an insane society out there that we need to be willing to stand up and be countercultural. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Probably the single most important thing we have done in fighting against the whole culture uh, war is mobilizing and equipping home educators in Christian schools. 
So we've been promoting home education in Christian schools for decades now. I set up Christian Liberty Books to import, to export, to wholesale, to retail resources for homeschoolers and for Christian school teachers. And so we produce textbooks and curriculums and we import them. Our Christian Liberty Books now has over 6,000 titles available. 80% of the book sales are for school textbooks or homeschool curriculums. And so I think one of the most powerful things any one of us can do is to start a Bible study and prayer fellowship or join one. And one of the best things parents can do is to decide to home educate their children and use independent Christian curriculums that are not state approved. The insanity of of sending our children to the Philistines to be um, indoctrinated makes no sense. You can't imagine Israelites in God honoring Israel's history sending their children to the Philistines to be educated. And we can't send our children to the Marxists, the gender confusion, transgender, LGBTQ perverts to uh, educate. I mean, that would be highly irresponsible. So these are some things we can do. Bible study and prayer fellowships, books that apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life, get involved in the controversial issues of the day, whether it's a right to life or uh, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, um, defending women's rights against the transgender perverts who are trying to hijack women's sports and um, invade women's private spaces and get men in women's change rooms and so on. All of that we've got to fight. These are some of the battles we must win today, and we'll win it if we are supporting independent Christian news media and independent uh, Christian education sources that is Bible-based and Christ-centered. What are some of the effective weapons of our warfare? Well, amongst the different weapons that we can use, obviously the first and foremost is the Bible. We are told to put on the whole armor of God, to put on the helmet of salvation. First and foremost, do you know that you're saved? If God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you respond? Are you saved? Can you put on the helmet of salvation? And then the belt of truth. That's so important. Truth is a powerful weapon. Truth conquers. That's the slogan of reformer Jan Hus, who was burned at the stake for the crime of standing up to the Pope and against the false teachings of Catholicism in the Middle Ages. Um, the great reformer of, of, of uh, Prague, um, Jan Hus, his slogan was, Truth conquers. And truth does conquer. So, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Are you justified by faith alone? Are your feet shod with the preparation of gospel peace? Do you know how to evangelize? Are you well trained in evangelism? Do you know how to respond when a person says, what must I do to be saved? Do you know how to get a person discussing eternity? Charles Spurgeon said, if I can get people thinking about eternity, I can lead them to Christ. And so, do we know the way of the Master Living Waters training program or the Evangelism Explosion training program so you know how to challenge people? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? If God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you respond? Do we know how to ask these questions and get people to evaluate themselves? So the weapons of our warfare is also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We're to stand fast against all the wiles of the devil. We're to put on the whole armor of God. The weapons of our warfare, particularly Bibles and biblically-based books, and, of course, we've got a lot of other opportunities today, like podcasts on radio and um, web-based ministries, such as our From the Frontline program that we're listening to now. We have launched over 20 websites in our mission and over 30 different Facebook pages. 
everything from Vikings for Christ, We Love God's Animals, Wonderful Wildlife, um, Victorious Christian Woman, Greatest Century of Missions, Greatest Century of Reformation, Young Reformers Out to Change the World. These are just some of the many Facebook pages we've launched. We've got all kinds of websites from ReformationSA.org uh, to Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism or HMS School of Christian Journalism.org. Uh, we've the Frontline Mission Essay.org website. These are weapons we can use. Um, having good books, knowing the Bible, distributing Bibles, these are key. Our Literature for Africa stores distribute about 100 tons of Bibles and books every year and totally free. This includes thousands of Bibles, millions of gospel booklets, especially World Missionary Press gospel booklets, which are all scripture. So there's some great resource we can use if we always have gospel booklets with us to distribute in the side panels in a corner, cubbyhole of a car in our back sacks or in our um, sling bags, in our purses and wallets. And there's so many good gospel tracts and leaflets you can be equipped with and have. We've produced all sorts, and we've got about 70 different in-house tracts that we've produced that you can access free on our livingstonfellowship.co.za website. Most of my Bible studies and sermons, including summarizing every book of the Bible, is on livingstonfellowship.co.za. These are made available to help pastors and Bible study leaders all over with great resources they can use, including summarizing every single book of the Old and New Testament. Of course, they're also available as books and audio MP3s and on sermon audio, uh, but you can see the actual text on our livingstonfellowship.co.za website and these different tracks including evidences for the resurrection um, and different evidences that Jesus is the Messiah designed particularly for Jewish people. And uh, we've got um, a message to Roman Catholics, which is to help us reach on Roman Catholic neighbors. These are some tools. We've sometimes mobilized marches against Marxism, marching to parliaments and challenging the communist governments of our country um, on everything from legislation that they were trying to legalize abortion or pornography or legalizing uh, perversion. We've marched to Parliament for the right to self-defense and uh, freedom of speech on the ra radio airwaves and supported a whole range of Christian radio programs. We helped launch Radio Tigerberg 28 years ago and uh, our Salt and Light radio program every week on Radio Tigerberg is one of the longest-running Christian radio programs in the country on one of the largest community radio stations in the country. We're regularly on Radio Kwesi in KwaZulu, which is probably the biggest and most listened to radio station in the country. Uh, radio ministries are powerful and effective. Mo mobilizing people in the streets is absolutely key. And I do believe that that's a vital part of the work today is we need to network, we need to work together, don't reinvent the wheel. If you know that someone else has produced a great resource, whether it's gospel recordings, or World Missionary Press, let's utilize what they've got. If there's a great program like Evangelism Explosion uh, or Where the Master, let's utilize it. When there's a ministry like Answers in Genesis, they've done so much research exposing evolutionism. When we know who's doing what, uh, we can utilize and support those who are experts in the field and those who are um, effective. And that's what we try and do in our Christian Liberty books, that we bring in the books that others have produced from around the world, some of the best textbooks, and make it available to Christian schools and to homeschool uh, curriculums that they've got the resources that they need. So there's many great weapons out there. And if a person doubts what weapons are available, they just need to contact us and, and we can put them in touch. 
What are some of the greatest needs and opportunities for service today? There's an enormous amount. The biggest, first and foremost in Africa, I found when I first started crossing the border and speaking to people who are suffering persecution, in Angola I asked the people, what do you need? How can we help you? And I heard, Biblia, Biblia. And they saw hungry, starving people, sometimes crippled people, people without an arm or leg, victims of landmines. And the first priority they said was Bibles. So the first priority is Bibles. People need Bibles. More than 100 million churchgoers in Africa don't even have a copy of the Bible or New Testament today. So Bibles are the first thing. Next thing is they will need Bible teaching. So those are some of the greatest needs in the world today right now. Uh, but then there's so many people who are suffering and who are uh, struggling. So when Operation World tells us we've got 100 million churchgoers who don't even have a New Testament, well, that inspired us also to launch our literature of Africa to provide Bibles, New Testaments, Gospels, Christian books in over 100 languages to Christians throughout Africa. And over the years, I've persuaded Christian authors overseas to donate copies of their books to us, which we could make available for libraries for pastors and to add to Bible college libraries. Dr. James Kendi was the first to send us thousands of his books. And Dr. David Noble and Robert Morey sent us many hundreds of their books. And from then on, from about 2,200s, Eagle's Nest Ministry started to send us 20-foot containers with an average of 18 tons of Bibles, books, Sunday school materials, evangelistic resources at a time. Now, this required a lot of organization, of course. We needed to add on extra building to accommodate and to sort through, to categorize and to effectively read these great resources to those who most need and will most appreciate and most effectively apply the Lord of Christ to all years of life. But our Literature for Africa ministry is now distributing between 100 to 200 tons of Bibles, books, gospels, Sunday school materials per year, all completely free. So those are tremendous, but also we saw the need to make leadership training available wider. And so challenged by William Carey's great sermon, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. God is great, honor him with great faith. And seeing his emphasis on leadership training, Sharampo College and so on, we saw the need for leadership training in Africa and launched our William Carey Bible Institute, which is a web-based free uh, distance learning program. And we contacted a lot of um, different missionaries and mission leaders and authors to donate their materials digitally so that we could make it available first and foremost to the persecuted church in Middle East and North Africa. We have got... Um, people, for example, in North African, Arabic-speaking, Muslim-majority countries that are running underground Bible college training programs for people. We had the first six graduates who had gone through the three-year program of William Carey um, through uh, a satellite program up in North Africa with an um, underground church there, training these people completely illegally um, in, according to the governments of that communist country. And we were even able to be part by Zoom of this um, underground church uh, graduation service for these people from persecuted area, completely unreached people group that had been trained thoroughly going through every book in the Bible and through our William Carey program. So one of the big, big problems you see in Africa is that most of the pastors have no leadership training and those who leave a rural area for an urban training institution tend to stay in the urban center and be lost to the rural community. So People, say, from eastern Zambia who go into Lusaka to train will seldom return to rural area. They'll stay in the city. And most 
who go to a first world country for training will stay there, not return to their third world country. So, for example, you've got vastly more ordained, trained Mexican pastors living in Phoenix, Arizona, than the whole northern province of Mexico. And you've got vastly more trained, ordained Zambian and Mozambican pastors living in South Africa than you have in Zambia or Mozambique. And so this rapid urbanization, this mass movement to first world countries, is devastating local congregations. It's disastrous to fulfilling the Great Commission. I had a congregation in Canada contact me asking me to identify Canadians that they could organize for them to get um, citizenship in Canada, that they could move with their whole families to Canada. I, said, I wrote a very strong, stinging rebuke to this congregation, well-meaning people, of course, but saying we cannot fulfill the Great Commission by persuading Christians from the Middle, from the Middle East and from Africa to move to Western countries. What you're doing is fulfilling what the Muslim jihadists want. You're getting them to depopulate Sudan of Christians. They said, we don't want the people, we only want the land. And so whether they kill the Christians or you get them to move to Canada comes the same thing. They're being lost to fulfilling the Great Commission in Africa. And this congregation was very teachable and thanked me for the letter and, and apologized, said they will replan their whole missionary strategy, which had been to try and persuade people to move to Canada, which, of course, isn't going to help. In fact, in many cases, I've found people who've moved from persecuted countries, whether we're talking about Eastern Europe, into the West or from Africa. And I know communities such as in Omaha, uh, Nebraska, where most of, where there are thousands of Sudanese there. And they've got engineers, they've got doctors, they've got people with all the skills, university trained, that we need in Sudan. But they're staying in Omaha, Nebraska, because it's more comfortable, and they get all kinds of benefits. I went to that congregation, ministered there, and the children were so badly behaved, which was a shock to me, because Sudanese children are very well behaved. But I mean, here's kids sitting in church, playing some video games or on their cell phones with their baseball caps turned around and with bad attitudes and rude as anything. And when it came to the meals, rushing in in front of adults, something you'd never see um, in, in Africa. And I was asking what the problem is. And, oh, you know, the American schools, you send them to the government schools? Well, yes, it's free. And next thing, found out most of the uh, marriages in the congregation were broken up. Well, the Sudanese women learned and were encouraged by social protection services and so on in America. You can get so much more money in independence if you divorce your husband. Then you'll get extra money for each child you've got from the U.S. government. So they were encouraged to basically divorce from the husbands um, to get more independence and to get more money. And the government was incentivizing them to break up their families. So these people who've moved from Sudan to get training in the first world countries are not only lost to to fulfilling the Great Commission in Africa, but they're being lost even to themselves. Many of them have backslidden and on poor state and their church life suffering, their families broken up. Is this worth it? My father-in-law, Bill Bathman, who spent 67 years as a missionary, mostly helping persecute church in Eastern Europe, said he would never encourage anyone to move from Eastern Europe into the West. He didn't know one person or family had done it to it, benefited spiritually. He said that all suffered spiritually. And I think we need to rethink. So this is part of our philosophy of Take the leadership training to the people in Africa. Libraries for pastors, literature for Africa, um, textbooks for teachers, William Carey Bible Institute, distance learning. Take the training to them where they are in Africa. We also help start Bible colleges in Sudan and in, in um, Zambia, such as Covenant College. Take the leadership training where it's needed to discourage people from going to the urban areas and to discourage them from coming to first world countries where they might decide to stay instead of going back. And 
we had a ridiculous thing that one of our missionaries we had trained, we put him through Baptist Theological Seminary where I trained, uh, and he, this missionary who I recruited in the South African Reconnaissance Commander, Grant, he ended up being a missionary in Zambia, and he and his wife, who was once my secretary, now five children up in Zambia, and they've been there for decades, and they're doing a great work, just at the southernmost tip of the Lake Tanganyika in northern Zambia. But the same year he graduated, a Zambian studying college also graduated, but he had no intention of going back to Zambia. We tried to incorporate him in one of our outreaches. Now, he wasn't going to leave South Africa because he was here illegally now, and he didn't want him because he'd finished his studies. If he left, he might never be allowed back in again. He got in South Africa on a student visa, and now he wants to stay. He doesn't want, if he goes back to Zambia on even a short-term outreach, he's considered he wouldn't be allowed back. So there was a Zambian pastor now trained, and he wasn't going back to Zambia. So we sent a missionary to Zambia, but they lost a minister from Zambia. So that's not a, exactly a winning um, equation right there. Mathematically, you can see where the problems are and the challenges we've got to face. That's why it's better to take the training to the people. How can we inspire our people to action and encourage those in this colossal conflict for Christian civilization? Now, that really is what inspires me because we need to speak up for the persecuted church. And I think first and foremost, we need first-hand testimony. So we mobilize International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, first uh, or second Sunday in every November, mobilizing International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted. We've got the www.idop-africa website, which specialized in mobilizing prayer for the persecuted churches in Africa. And to mobilize our churches, I would like them to be praying more often than once a year, but to at least, as a start, to f join the largest prayer movement in the world. There's a huge amount of congregations and Christians worldwide who are involved in IDOP, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted, second Sunday of November. And we've been running this for decades now. And uh, I think that's important that people learn from the persecuted church, speak for the persecuted church, Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. I've written books like In the Killing Fields of Mozambique, Holocaust in Rwanda, Faith Under Fire in Sudan, and uh, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, the Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat. These help inspire people to understand the persecuted church, to remember them, and then to really inspire pe more people, we need to learn from examples of excellence. So about the most important textbooks I've ever produced have been The Greatest Century of Missions, The Greatest Century of Reformation, Victorious Christians Who Changed the World and Sketches from South African History, which has also been translated to Afrikaans. We've got others in the pipeline. I think it's so important we learn from these great examples of excellence, um, great missionaries, great reformers, and I believe that is how we inspire more people into the conflict. When they learn from Mary Sliss and David Livingston and Robert Moffat and C.T. Studd and Robert uh, um, Williams and all these other great um, leaders that have given their lives for the gospel, I think this will inspire people when they, and that's what we've done with our Reformation Society. So back in 2005, I was invited to Europe and I spent five weeks in 11 countries in Europe ministering everywhere from Northern Ireland as a guest of Ian Paisley through to Romania as a guest of uh, Paul Negroot in the Emmanuel University, and which is the largest Christian university in, in Europe and ministering uh, as far afield as Switzerland, Germany, Poland, uh, France, Belgium. And this is so important. I learned so much. And I got to Geneva and saw Saint-Pierre, where, where John Calvin ministered. I got to Wittenberg 
and was able to go to the Schlosskirche where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses into Luther House, the greatest Re Reformation Museum in the world. I got to Zurich, uh, to Grossmonster, where Ulrich Swingley ministered. I learned so much on this mission uh, to Europe in 2005. I came back and launched the Reformation Society, which has met every night since then, uh, every, every week uh, on Thursday nights for uh, looking at examples of excellence of history, learning from the reformers and working for Reformation today. Also, I saw the opportunity with the Calvin 500. Standing at the Geneva Wall, I saw, Martin, uh, I saw that John Calvin was born in 1509. Well, I could immediately see, well, we're not that far from 2009, only four years ahead. So I launched the Calvin 500 movement, which inspired a international conference in San Pierre in Geneva, Switzerland, which I was part of, Unforgettable week of inspiration, edification, meeting every day in Calvin's chapel, the original Auditoire Academy, where John Knox preached to the English-speaking refugees in Geneva, also the site of the Geneva Bible Translation Project. So what a magnificent venue. And uh, the, out of the, the Calvin 500 movement, we then launched the Reformation 500 movement, which culminated in the Reformation 500 in October 2017 in Wittenberg, we were able to sing A Mighty Fortress Our God in uh, Luther's church, uh, both the Stuttkirche downtown and the Schlosskirche where the 95 Theses were nailed and where Martin Luther's buried. And we were able to run a conference and we produced the Reformation uh, uh, 500 movement, including the uh, 95 Theses for Reformation today, uh, which is translated to French and Flemish and Dutch, German, and Afrikaans distributes very widely around the world. Probably my most um, bold and ambitious project was preaching to every book in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, producing the Old Testament survey and the New Testament survey, completed in time for the 2019 Swingley 500 when we celebrate the birth of expository preaching, when Ulrich Swingley in Switzerland and Grossmünster opened the Bible, Matthew 1 verse 1, and started expository preaching, one verse at a time, line by line, through the whole New Testament. And so these Bible survey series in my sermon audio page on sermon audio and boxes, box sets of the MP3 audios have been donated to Bible cultures throughout Africa. And we've put the sermons uh, in the um, Joy magazine um, and they were translated of course for Hirchitate's Griff month by month, teaching people what the Bible teaches book by book. And it's on the livingstonfellowship.co.za website. So these are just some of the weapons we've mobilized in order to speak up for the persecuted church and to um, mobilize more action. Because when we learn from examples of excellence and we learn from the persecuted church, it puts our own challenges into perspective. The scripture challenges us. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What is the vision of Frontline Fellowship for the future? Well, we believe in a ministry of multiplication. The Great Commission is our supreme ambition. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Your God reigns. That's from Isaiah 52. So um, our vision is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is our supreme ambition, to make disciples of all nations, to teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. And a key part of that is our Great Commission courses that we host at January of every year, to be able to train missionaries, practically body, mind, and spirit, including morning PT, inspiring 
lectures, practicals in the afternoon, outreaches on the street, hiking up and over the mountain at night, um, including getting to the top of Tabe Mountain, singing and praying on the top of Tabe Mountain at the highest points over the city, claiming the high places for Christ. Uh, it's so important to train people from all over the world, as we've had people come from as far afield as New Zealand and Canada, from all over Africa and Europe, coming to our Great Commission courses of the years. And I believe um, our vision of Africa for Christ should inspire many to want to come and join us uh, to get involved. We need volunteers. We need prayer warriors. We need supporters. The projects need support. If people visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org, they'll see how we're responding to the challenges today, the challenges that confront all of us. And I believe others will also believe in our literature ministry, our Africa for Christ vision, and that the Great Commission should be our supreme ambition. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for joining us tonight, and thank you, hearers, for, uh, for, for joining us. This is Ryan Underwood in the studio with From the Frontline, covering our response to the challenges that confront us. God bless, and good night. <laughs>